We are continuing our series on biblical outsiders, but there are a couple things that I need to say to you right at the beginning. Um, and one of those is that we are zooming, like we are zooming way ahead. Who did we talk about last? Gideon, right? Yes, we talked about Gideon from the book of Judges. Well, we're going to zoom all the way to Acts chapter 10. So that's not because there are not biblical outsiders throughout the spaces in between. Really, honestly, you can almost open any page of the Bible and find people who, who in some sense, according to this world or according to their own choices, don't belong in some way, shape, or form. But we are zooming ahead both because we are heading towards Advent, and uh, I want to be practically finished the series when we get to Advent, but also because we are wanting to sort of shift a little bit and unpack a little bit more. Because the reality is that the title of this service, or this uh, series rather, uh, talking about outsiders, is a bit of a misnomer. And I was talking with someone who, who pointed this out to me, and they said, you know, if it were me, I would have entitled the whole series Insiders. Because the reality is, is that God takes all of these people that we have looked at, and God embraces them into His fellowship and into His love. They, they have made choices often in some way or another to remove themselves from God if they could, but God is not content to allow that to continue. And, and in a way, that's kind of the whole point of the series. The whole point of the series is, is this, to realize that all of the people that we look at in the Scriptures who we might consider outsiders for some reason or another, all of them God tries to embrace in His fellowship and His love. God wants them in there, right? Now, they can, they can refuse. They can choose not to accept that. But God is offering to all of them, Right? And then secondly, to recognize that not only does God offer this love and envelopment, this enfolding to all of these so-called outsiders, but also that we too are no different than any of these outsiders. All of us were outsiders at some point in our life in some way, shape, or form. And even today, we may feel as if we are outsiders at some point or another. But that, that doesn't change the fact that God reached out to en enfold us as well. And, and so that's the second point. The first one being recognizing that God seeks to enfold all of these people, these so-called outsiders. And the second point being that we're no different from these so-called outsiders and that God has sought to enfold us too. Which brings us logically to the third conclusion, which is that God desires certain things from us with regards to how we treat those 
who might be considered outsiders in our world. Right? That God expects us in his name and because of what he has done with us, us who were outsiders, God expects us to treat people who were outsiders in that same enfolding way. And this is a toughie for us because it is so easy for us to become like the elder son in the parable that we call the parable of the lost son, right? You remember the story, right? The story is basically that, <clears throat> you know, Jesus tells this parable of, of, of two sons, right? The, the younger son, in, in rebellion against his father and so on and so forth, demands his share of the inheritance before his father has kicked off even. It's like the guy is saying, Dad, I wish you were dead, but since you're not, give me my inheritance so I can leave this place and not see you ever again. And mind-bogglingly, the father gives him the inheritance. And he goes off and he spends all this money and does all this wild living. He declares himself loudly and boldly as an outsider. An outsider. He says, I want nothing to do with you, dad. I am outside of your little family thing. But then, of course, we know how the story goes, right? The, 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 the second son, the younger son, he spends all of that money. He spends all that inheritance. And he finds himself sitting in a pigsty longing to eat the, the junk that the pigs are eating because he's so hungry. And so he repents. He repents. And, and this is, we know that this is what the father has longed for all along because the father, when, when the son comes home, Home, the father has been waiting and waiting and longing, right? He's not going to force his son. He doesn't force his son to stay. He could have done that by not giving him the inheritance. No, instead he, 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 he waits and he watches and he longs for the day that his son comes home. And, and Jesus is teaching us in that parable that all of us are that second son. But then he's also teaching us that all of us are tempted to be also the first son. Because what does the first son do? Right? The second son is welcomed home and the first son, he hears the music and the partying and stuff like this and he gets all up on his high horse. Dad, you never gave me the fattened calf. Dad, you never took care of me this way. Dad, I've been doing the right thing all my life. And what do I get for it? Right? And, and the kicker of that story, of course, is that the father says to him, Son, this brother of yours has been lost, but now he's found. Come in and rejoice with us. But we don't know what the elder son does. Jesus doesn't tell us. He leaves us hanging. He, he says that the, the older son hears this from the father and we don't know what he does. And, and so Jesus is essentially saying to us 
and to the people who were listening to him at the time, hey, hey, you're the elder son. Yeah, you were the younger son, and some of the people here are still younger sons, but you, you religious leaders, you Christians, you people in the pews here this morning, me and you, all of us, we're the older sons. And Jesus is asking us, what are you going to do with your outsider of a brother who has now come home? What are you going to do? And he leaves the question mark hanging there for us. Because really, it's not a question that Jesus will answer for us. It's a question only we can answer. Peter faces the same thing. He doesn't know it. He doesn't understand that the parable that Jesus told about the, 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 the lost son, whom I would argue actually the lost son really ends up being potentially the older son. But anyways, Jesus tells that parable and Peter doesn't make the connection to all of the people around him. But we'll see now that God is going to force him to look with honest and open eyes at this question about what will Peter do with the outsider, the son who comes home. Turn with me to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. We're going to read a lot of Acts chapter 10. I think we're reading the whole thing. But uh, these stories are important to get in their context, right? So Acts chapter 10, we know, of course, this is after Pentecost. This is after 3,000 plus people were converted to Christianity. Now, we need to remember that in that context, those 3,000 plus people who were converted to Christianity were already Jews, as far as we know. They were Jews from all over the Roman world. They were Greek-speaking Jews and, and, and Phoenician Jews, and like Jews from all over the place who were there. But they were Jews. They were God's chosen people. But something radical happens here. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. Just for context, you've got to remember who this guy is. Cornelius is a Greco-Roman name, right? He is Italian. He's from the Italian regiment. He is a centurion. He is part of the Roman infrastructure that is oppressing the people of Israel. This is, this is the very symbol of the people that the Israelites want to throw off. This is the enemy. It's, it's, it's a little bit like saying... It's a little bit like saying... At um, a city in Ukraine, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion or a soldier in the Russian army. <laughs> right? And <laughs> he and all his family, verse 2, were devout and God-fearing. Okay, whoa, hold on a second. Something weird has happened. He is... A Roman citizen. He is a centurion. He is not a Jew. He is a Gentile. But he is devout and God-fearing. What's going on? He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. 
One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel, the angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Can you imagine? Right? Cornelius is just going about his business, loving God, loving people, giving to the poor, and suddenly, in a dream... God says, hey, you know, we're at the throne room. You know, we were just hanging around the throne room and, and uh, yours was the highlight positive news story of the day. It's like, your offerings to the poor came before the throne of God and God was like, hey, this dude is cool. Right on. Right? Obviously, I don't mean to be flippant, but, you know, this has got to be something that just floors Cornelius. Right? Now send men, the angel says, to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Now, of course, you know that not all four-legged animals were unclean according to Jewish faith. But obviously, the, the, the net, the blanket contained animals that were, including reptiles and so on, right? So... Peter doesn't want to have anything to do with it. The voice spoke to him, verse 15, a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this is, this is the linchpin. This is the pivot. This is the, the, the key verse in the whole thing. Don't call anything impure that God has declared to be clean. This is where the outsider Cornelius really gets transformed in the mind of Peter, even though he doesn't know it yet, into an insider. And, and this is where the gospel becomes a gospel that is not just for the Jew, but finally the realization starts to sink in that the good news is for all the people of the earth. This is where it starts to make sense, even though Peter doesn't get it quite yet. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. 
They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. Can you imagine what kind of character he must have? Can you imagine, right, like that there's a, you know, an, a, a Nazi guy in, in, in World War II in the Netherlands whom all the Dutch people respect? Can you imagine how different that man would have had to have been for the people of the Netherlands to go, oh yeah, I mean Nazis, but that guy, he's good. We respect him. He loves people. He cares for people. Right? And, And yet, this is what the people say. Right? A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the man into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up, saying, Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. (laughs) Listen to those words. But God has told me, God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Your actions may be impure or unclean, but God, God has something different to say about you yourself. So when I was sent for, Peter says, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon who is called Peter. He is a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately. And it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message of God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. 
you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead. On the third day, he caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. The word of the Lord. Amen. And now the sermon is basically done. It's one of those sermons that kind of preaches itself. And I I won't take too long. I mean, I could because, you know, my father-in-law sort of, you know, thinks that a 45-minute sermon uh, is about the right amount of time for a sermon. So we can carry on for at least a while longer, (laughs) but we won't do that. But, But here's the thing, right? And we have to remember this because it's so easy for us to become the older brother. It is so easy for us to look at the world around us and say, unclean, unclean. I'm not pointing specifically at anybody here. Unclean, unclean, right? Like, it's so easy to do. But we can't. It's not right for us to do it. It's not right at all, right? This is the message that God gives to Peter. That the very people, and and, and truth be told, this is the same message that in a way God tried to give to Jonah way back when he was called to preach to the Ninevites. Right? God says, go preach to the Ninevites. And Jonah says, what? No! They're our enemies. They're Gentiles. They're, we don't want to, But God sends them anyways by force, and He does, right? And this is the same thing. Thankfully, Peter is more obedient. God says to him, go, go, speak to this centurion. Speak to his family. Yeah, they're Gentiles, but don't you dare call them unclean because I have declared them to be clean. And so, brothers and sisters, This is in contrast, I think, sometimes to what happens with elections these days. Randy was talking about praying for the American elections. It feels like, just by way of example, it feels like these days, 
We are so tempted to call unclean anyone or anything that is not us. You're a liberal, you're a Democrat, ooh, unclean. You're a conservative, you're a Republican, unclean. You're uh, American and not Canadian, unclean. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a Russian, unclean. You're, you're, um, you're a person who works in the oil and gas industry, unclean. You're a police officer, unclean. You're, uh, you're a bleeding heart liberal counselor, unclean. You're, uh, I don't know, fill in the blanks. Everyone and anything that's not us is unclean. That's biblically illegitimate. Right? Sure. Jonathan Moody does some things that are bad. He does. So does Daniel Zilstra. Right? Sure. Jonathan Moody has some politics with which some of us may not agree. I don't, I don't even know your political leanings. Right? Sure, Daniel Zilstra has some politics with which some of us may agree. Sure, you know, uh, Alan, Alan Adama's theology is not perfect. Sure, Daniel Zilstra's theology is not perfect. Sure, uh, some of us are, have temptations that are different than others. Some of us are more strongly tempted by sexual temptations. Some of us are more strongly tempted by power temptations or money temptations. Some of us are, have fallen to those temptations recently. Some of us, it's been a long time. Some of, some of us are men. Some of us are women. It, it's possible that some of us hearing today or maybe even here don't even know. They don't feel like they know whether they're a man or a woman. We don't, we don't have to agree with all that people are thinking or all that people believe or all that people do. But they are not unclean. Not because their behavior is so perfect, but because God has offered them cleansing of their souls, of all they are, of all they were of all they will be. God has said, look, this Gentile, clean. Look, this Dustin, clean. Right? And that's how we need to live in this world. Because ultimately, that's where the outsider's story ends. Where God says, you as humanity, have declared yourselves unclean. You have declared yourselves outsiders. And I know that that was bad news. You shouldn't have done that. That was a mistake. But I'm not just content to leave it there. Instead, I will enfold you if you will take it. I will bring you in so that you are no longer out. And that's what my children, who have already received and accepted that, will also do. So brothers and sisters, please, let us remember. 
Remember how God treats the outsiders, enfolding them in his love. Remember how God treats us because we also were outsiders. And remember how God calls us to also enfold in love all of those whom we might be tempted to consider outsiders. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your love for us. For even, you say in scriptures, while we were still your enemies, you died for us. Lord God, I do not know, I cannot conceive of a way in which you could welcome outsiders more fully into your love than to demonstrate that love beyond all shadow of doubt by being willing to reconcile us even while we were screaming for your death. Oh God, please help us to enfold all of those whom we might be tempted to consider outsiders. May we enfold them in your love, not by force making them to change their minds or anything, but simply by loving them and speaking truth to them in your name and through your power. Lord, thank you that by your mercy and grace and not by anything of our own, you have declared us to be clean. Lord, may we live in that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we're going to sing. We're going to invite the praise team to come forward. We're going to sing as our song of response, I love to tell the story. And then after the blessing, we're going to sing who, I say, who You Say I Am. Excuse me. And these two songs work in beautiful combination because the reality is that if we really understand that we were the younger son, that we were and are tempted to be the older son, and we remember how God has welcomed us home just as God welcomed the Gentile, oppressor, Roman soldier, Cornelius and his family home, if we really understood those things, then we too would love to tell the story of who God has declared us to be. Let us stand together and sing, I love to tell the story.